listening to True G Radio. Turn up that dial. Welcome to Faith Radio with your host, Dr. Daniel Merrick. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. But that's the translation, but that's wrong. The Lord is not the translation. It is uh, Yahweh or Yahweh. So that's his name. He who causes to be. In other words, that's, that's God's name. So get your Bible and get ready to study the word of Almighty Yahweh with Dr. Dan. That's his name. It isn't Lord. Who has believed their message? And now, Dr. Dan. Welcome to Faith Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Merrick. We're glad and happy, as always, that you tune us in here at Faith Radio with the different uh, links and different syndicated venues around the world and online. And I just wanted to let you know that you can go to anchor.fm slash faithradio and there are links to get this on your smartphone, through Spotify, on your TV radios tuned in and with the different sort of opportunities of the links for different types of applications such as Google, Android, and uh, iPhones applications so that you can actually listen to Faith Radio right in your car or on your TV at home, on your computer, or, or your smartphone or tablet. That opportunity is there at anchor.fm slash Faith Radio, so that you can get the downloads of the show as I put new shows up. I try to get it every week, but sometimes I miss a week or so because of the responsibilities of ministry and the responsibilities of of life itself. So sometimes we don't get a show done, but praise Yah, we try to do everything in order and in the time as Yah leads us. I have a great announcement, a wonderful announcement for you. So you want to not just listen to the ministering of the Word of Yah today that I'm bringing to you, but you'll also want to listen to the announcement which I will give uh, at the end of the program and, uh, and, and, and let you know what is actually happening as we expand in ministry around the world to bring the Word of Yah and faith and salvation in the name of Yahshua Messiah to the world at large. All right, today we are going to talk about witnessing the name of Messiah to a Jew. Now, first of all, when we talk about talking to a Yehudah, a Hebrew tribesman, a Jew from the tribe of Judah, which is, for the most part, those who have returned to Israel at this point, and in part we have the addition returning of what's prophesied, which is the tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel also, which is uh, consists of Ephraim uh, joining to Judah and the uh, addition of the northern kingdom tribes that was prophesied to return in Ezekiel chapter 4 and chapter 8 and such. Um, so when we look at these different prophecies and aligning with it, we have to think of what 
a, 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 a tribe of Judah person is, and a Jew or a Hebrew or an Israelite that was one a member of the 12 tribes of Israel. And um, then consider also that the different sects of Judaism that exist today are like the denominations of Christianity. Uh, so you'll have some that claim to be Karite, which means they go purely by the Word and the Word alone. They don't go by Talmud, supposedly, or Kabbalah, or other writings and books that aren't scriptures, and they won't go by certain other things, and to the degree that they compromise with their other brethren in Israel and other congregations of orthodoxy or the different brands of Judaism out there, uh, may vary as such. But there is also the Hasidic that is mystical and takes Kabbalah and uh, Talmudic writings and such and, and holds those things up. And the Reforms and the Orthodox that study mostly Talmud and don't really spend a lot of time studying the true meaning of the original scriptures as given to Moses the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And then we have Reforms and Reconstructionists and now we have Messianic, and not just one Messianic form of Judaism. We have many different brands and denominations. We have the Messianic Jewish Alliance of America. We have the sacred name version of this, and we have the, uh, the Hebrew roots version of that in different divisions and parts and denominations around the world. Uh, so, it can become confusing. Because religion, or as... John writes it in Revelation 17, 18, Babylon Mystery Religion, the mother of false worship or harlotry, um, is at work in the world today, causing confusion, doubtful disputes, arguments and such uh, about many different things. So when I run into a uh, fringe-wearing, yarmulke-wearing Jewish person who's by DNA... Uh, for all intents and purposes, or, or by religion, is converted to Judaism in some form or something, there has to be a method and a way that we actually witness to that person and be able to show him uh, or her the name of Messiah. And for many years I wondered, well, you know, if this is the Messiah's name in the New Testament writings, the Brit Hadashah, which is uh, Hebrew for the New Testament, which means the New Covenant, Brit Hadashah, uh, if the name is given by the angel to Miriam, you shall call his name Yahshua, uh, for he shall save Yah's people, then somewhere you would think that there would be at least one prophecy in the Tanakh or the Old Testament that says, hey, listen, the name of Yahshua is the name of salvation and the name of the Messiah. In some way, some form, in a prophetic form, or whatever. Because the prophesied Messiah is said to have come from the line of David. And the line of David, if you do genealogy and family trees, you will say there's the branches of the family tree from King David that came down on the tree of the family genealogical tree, and that these branches would have uh, the succession and progression of genealogy. And then when we get to the beginning of the Gospels, we look there and it says, this is the genealogy of Yahshua HaMashiach, Yahshua the Messiah. And they give that from the line of David down to Messiah, right there in the beginning of the Bible. 
of the Brit Hadashah in the New Testament. They give that genealogy in the beginning. Okay. So, um, if you're looking for it, and you wanted to prophesy to a person or witness to a person who's a Jew, and the, what the name of the Messiah is, and that this Messiah has already come, and that he is going to come again, and such, and you want to use the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh, or the Holy Spirit, in your life, as you witness to them, and use scriptures, it will be rare that they will let you crack open the New Testament and say, well, look, here's the genealogy. You get down there, it's Yahshua Messiah, and that's your Messiah. He was from the line of David. Which, you know, that's recorded in the temple records too, that he was from the tribe of Judah and from the line of David. That genealogy is verified even by the temple records and writings, uh, which they have in what's called the Jerusalem Talmud, which is a collection of commentaries based on also the grouping of the temple records, which are such things as signed by Caiaphas and, and the different high priests and the different leaders in Israel for a long period of time. And those temple records were actually taken captive in 70 AD and then given to the Roman Catholic, or taken to Rome, and then, and then later when the Roman Catholic Church basically took over the Vatican vaults, the Vatican vaults had those temple records in them. And so we can go and look and see those temple records that uh, originally have been preserved, ancient documents for many thousands of years. And a lot of people go, oh, well, how could you say these are the actual documents and blah, 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 and how our pictures of them that we have now today are, are real because uh, wouldn't they have fallen apart in the, in the meantime? Well, I would contend with you, mm, no. We have the Isaiah scroll itself, which is the oldest book of the Bible, at the shrine of the book in Israel that dates back to about 300 to 400 years before Yahshua Messiah, or the time of Christ, as a Christian would say. Uh, so, if that book was preserved, then surely temple records could easily be preserved uh, in um, underground vaults, and then hermetically controlled for the last... 200, 300, 400 years uh, in certain ways uh, that is at the Vatican where they have records dating back to 300 AD, 300 BC, and, uh, and throughout the, the last 2,000 years. So, um, the credibility and the succession of ownership of these documents and where they came from is pretty much indisputable because we have these records over many, many years of uh, referencing these materials, different scholars who've gone and gotten these copies of scriptures and verses and such from Vatican vaults, and the addition that we have of recent times, and I say recent times because it's over the last less than 100 years that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and they were in clay jars, in leather books and such, um, in caves in the desert, and they didn't have any temperature controls, and, and lots of those fragments and lots of those parchments and books have been preserved, which was the source of, uh, of course, we have the Isaiah scroll, which is intact in the Shrine of the Book in Israel, which dates back to about 300 
years before the coming of Messiah. So let's look at the Scripture and find some place in the Old Testament, because what we want to do is we want to witness to a Jew, and we want to use his Bible, not our Brit Hadashah New Covenant writings. At this point, we want to present to him a contention, a debate, an argument for his very soul that his Messiah is the man that most people call J-E-S-U-S, which is really Yahshua Hamashiach in the Old Testament writings. Um, not the modern Hebrew Yeshua. It's the Old Testament Yahshua, which in the King James English is Joshua. And, and so Joshua, the Messiah, by name, which there's no J in Hebrew, so we'd have a, a Yud, a Y, which would be Yahshua, pronounced Yahshua with H3050, Yah in the beginning, Shua meaning salvation, the salvation of Yah. Um, that name would be given Somewhere before. So we go to Zechariah chapter 6. And at verse 9. And we read. And the word of Yah came to me saying. Take them of the captivity of Heldiah. And Tobajah. And Jediah. Which are come from Babylon. And come thou the same day. And go into the house of Josiah. The son of Zephaniah. Now, I'm reading from the King James English, pausing at the end of the 10th verse here, reading from the King James English, so that you can get the flavor of what happened from the 1611 to 1634 on what this is here and how the name of Messiah is given in this book, predating Messiah Yahshua's birth by about 400 to 430 years. So when Zechariah is preaching this and writing this down, we have about 430 years before the man who most people call J-E-S-U-S comes on the scene and Yahshua Messiah is actually born. Okay? So starting back at verse 11, take silver and gold and make crowns and set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Jozadek, the high priest. In Zechariah 6.12, and speak to him, or say to him, saying, Thus speaketh Yahuwah of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up in his place, and he shall build the temple of Yahweh, or Yahuwah. Even he shall build the temple of Yah, and he shall build the bear the glory, and he shall sit upon the throne, and he shall be a priest upon the throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Now, the council of peace between them both means he's going to be both a king sitting on a throne and a high priest making intercession for the people for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. And that's what the job of the Kohen Gadol or the high priest of Israel was, to go in two times a year during Passover and during atonement, sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant for the forgiveness of the sins of the people, dip the scarlet cord in, put it out on the pole, and when it turned white, it was a sign that the acceptance of Yah Almighty was forgiving the sins of the people. So let's go back to Zechariah 6.12 and read what it says here. It says, Behold the man whose name is the branch. So what's a branch? We talked about that earlier in the show. A branch is a branch of the line of David that is prophesied to be Messiah. So it's saying that Joshua, the son of Jozadek, 
the high priest, has the same name as the man who's going to be the branch of the Lion of David that shall build the temple of Yah and shall be the king and the high priest upon the throne, which is what Messiah is to be. Zechariah 6, verse 9 through 13. So if I take a Jew and I say to him, listen, Joshua, in Hebrew, if you put the Y there, is Yahshua. That's how you pronounce it. Yahshua. Which is the same name that they mistransliterate or misphonetically pronounce in the modern Hebrew as Yeshua, which is a girl's name, and as Jesus in the English, as a Greek name. And we know that to be true because we go to Thompson's Chain Reference published in 1970. Uh, 75 era and go to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 8 and we read there it says and Joshua had he not spoken of another day speaking of the Sabbath and instead of Joshua being there which was the correct name the King James English from the 1634 Thompson chain reference has in there Jesus had not Jesus and then Thompson in his wisdom puts in the footnotes at the side, the little sidebar chain references that the name Jesus should have been Joshua, J-O-H, for the name Yah, because Joshua, with an O-A sound, is the proper way to say the name of Mashiach, Yahshua in Hebrew, because there's no J, the letter J is only about 400 years old, 430 years old, in modern times, I'm speaking in 2021, so the letter J was invented to replace the letter Y, which is why we get like brother Bob Marley going, oh yeah, and instead of saying oh yeah, he said oh ja, with the ja sound of the J which the J originally in the English language, 1611, had a little tail at the bottom and a dot on top like an I, and it was used for the letter pronunciation of the letter Y in Hebrew and in English. And so when you say hallelujah, you don't say hallelujah, you say hallelujah. And Yah is the name of the Creator, and the name of the Creator, according to Proverbs 30, verse 4, of the Father and the Son must have the same name, which is H3050 in Strong's Concordance. It's also written up in Unger's Bible Dictionary. It says Joshua G2424, which is translated Jesus incorrectly. And it says right in the Bible reference book that all Christian Bible colleges, including Catholic colleges, use Unger's and Strong's and other types of concordances. They all say the same thing, that the name is not Jesus, but the name is Joshua. And then Joshua in Hebrew is Yahshua. It's male case, male name. H3442 is the pronunciation of it. H3467 is also another pronunciation of Yasha, which is a short version, like someone would call their friend Joshua, Josh. So you have Yasha, and then you have a little longer form, Yahusha. And then you have a longer form, formal, Yahushua. And then you have the common name Yahshua. And all those are found in the Old Testament. So when we look at Zechariah 6 and we want to witness to a Jew, we could take him there and say, look, look what it says in your scripture. We haven't touched the Brit Hadashah of the New Testament. It says, Joshua is the name of the branch who is to be Messiah. Now, so when you want to witness to a Jew, 
that would be a great place to start. Now, the only reason I bring this up at this time is because I've been thinking. And we're coming upon the anniversary, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And uh, some years back, I did the radio production and worked with the Kingob Evangelistic Association for his worldwide broadcast of Faith in Action Radio. And that was back in the 1990s. And I worked for him for a few years uh, coming up on uh, after 9-11. And before 9-11 happened, I went to, down in Pennsylvania, we had an annual fundraising dinner that Ken Gobb had for his evangelistic association. And over there, I met a woman, and uh, my wife and I met a woman, and her name was uh, Barbara Olson, the wife of Ted Olson, and we met Ted and Barbara. And after the meeting, and after I had spoken, and uh, Ken Gobb had spoken, and, and such at this uh, dinner, annual fundraising dinner, to help the Ken Gobb Evangelistic Association Ministry. I, I was pulled to the side, over to a table with Barbara Olson, and met her. And uh, you may be familiar with Ted Olson, was the Solicitor General under President Bush, and uh, served as, a, as an attorney for the President of the United States of America. And so I, uh, we sat down there, and Barbara said, you know, Dan, I have a question for you, and it's been a burning issue on my mind, is how do I witness to a Jew? And by the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, I had this knowledge of Zechariah chapter 6, and I took her to the Zechariah 6 verses and said, Yahshua, there it is, the name of what people call Jesus, in the Old Testament, prophesying he is the name of the Messiah, so that's the place you start when you're witnessing to a Jew. Now, modern Hebrew, they changed it to Yeshua, which is as a noun is a girl's name. Uh, in most of the Hebrew groups, and in many Messianic groups, they sing Yeshua, but as a verb, the word Yeshua means salvation. And the word Yeshua as a noun or a person's name, uh, it, which is a girl's name, is feminine case, girl's name. If you don't believe me, look it up in Strong's Analytical Concordance, 3090, and so on. Uh, and there's references over on uh, yaspace.org and on my website at yabible.org and such books and such on this subject. And you can get the book, uh, What Is His Name?, and see about the truth about uh, the fact that Yeshua is a girl's name. And in fact, throughout the whole Tanakh or Old Testament, as Christians call it, there is not one place anywhere in the Tanakh writings, not from Torah, Genesis, all the way to the end of the Old Testament, does it ever use the name Yeshua as a noun. It's not used as a noun, ever, in the Old Testament Hebrew writings. It is used as a verb, which means salvation, saved, saving, Savior, one who saves the salvation of, but is not used as a person's name. So, the idea of saying, like many say, uh, Baruch Hashem Yeshua, that says literally, if you translate it in English, praise the name of salvation. Because uh, the name of salvation then would have to be gotten from the scriptures, and we go to Zechariah 6, it says the name of salvation is Yahshua, which is a compound word meaning Yah saves, or Yah is our salvation, which is the name of Joshua and the name of the Messiah, Yahshua HaMashiach, who was born of Miriam and Yosef, and who the angel came to 
and said, You shall call his name Yahshua, for he shall save Yah's people. So there's a lot of truth and proofs in this as a good way and a good starting point on how to witness to a Yahudi, a Yahudim, a Jew, who has not yet known or accepted Messiah. All right? Okay, so we're going to take a short break, and I'm going to come back after these messages, and we're going to talk more about how to witness to a Jew, how to share with a Jew, and how to make that testimony relevant, uh, where you can have evidences and proofs to be able to witness effectively to someone who is a Jew that has not received Messiah. We'll be back. You can reach Dr. Dan, Dr. Dr. Dan. and become his friend on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Daniel Merrick. MySpace.com slash Daniel Merrick. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-M-E-R-R-I-C-K. Or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Daniel W. Merrick. Facebook.com slash Daniel W. Merrick. D-A-N-I-E-L-W-M-E-R-R-I-C-K. And don't forget to join his free social network at Yaz Space, Y A H S Space dot org. Yaz Space dot org. Yaz Space dot org. Hey, you can tweet me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Daniel W. Merrick. Welcome back. Today's topic is how to witness to a Jew. Now, we need to get a little bit of history done here uh, so that you understand what has happened to the scriptures over the years and why the name of Yahshua preserved in Zechariah 12 is so important because of Yahshua HaMashiach's name. Uh, so in 70 AD, the, all the New Testament writings that were in Hebrew and Greek and the different languages, Aramaic and such, were captured by General Titus as recorded in the Arch of Titus in Rome, 70 AD to 72 AD, 72 AD parades the Jews with the menorahs and the temple implements and such like that. And then Josephus records that Titus, in order to discourage the Jews from ever returning, he erected the symbols of the false deities of Rome and Greece upon all the holy sites or sacred sites of Jerusalem to encourage them to not go there because the symbol of the T-shaped Tammuz, the symbol of idols and false gods, were placed in all the holy places in Israel. Okay? But when we go there and we realize that all the temple records, all the information, all the writings and such that have been done, including probably the writings of Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, many of these writings that were in Hebrew were captured by the Romans, and it was all taken to Rome, fulfilling a prophecy of ancient time that that they show that we the twelve tribes of Israel in whole would be scattered among the people of the world, the Gentiles, and that uh, this captivity would go on until Israel is born as a nation once again, the dry bone prophecy in the Old Testament of the prophets, when Israel would rise up as a nation again. So all these documents go to Rome, and they're kept by Rome. A historian is hired by Rome itself called Josephus. He keeps all these writings, the antiquities of the Jews, uh, all the all the history of the Jews and such. And all these writings are culminated together and kept in the library or archives, which is now called the Vatican Archives in Rome. So, over the years, 
mankind didn't have the opportunity to read the original Hebrew and the original Greek and those sorts of things. But now recently, the original Hebrew and Greek, uh, of course, the Greek has been released for many years from the Septuagint from the Vatican. But the uh, original Hebrew has only recently been released from the Vatican. The, uh, the, even the admission over the last couple of years that they actually had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and several other scriptures in the New Testament or Brit Shah writings in the Hebrew language. They didn't want to admit it. And why? Because they wanted to have the preeminence of the Roman Catholic Church doctrine and the Roman Catholic view of things. So now we move forward. We have 321, 325 A.D. Constantine comes in and he says, let us get rid of all detestable things of the Jews. And so many of these documents get pushed to the bottom of the library. Nobody's allowed to access them and such. And then they put a limitation on it from 325 to 675, where they started to form these doctrines of Roman Catholicism in the newly formed Christian religion, holding to the Tamu-shaped cross, holding to other idols, holding to practices of not keeping the seventh-day Sabbath, but keeping the first day of the week, holding to sun god worship, uh, all things like magic and alchemy and, and, and questionable writings are added in, and all sorts of things happen uh, throughout that time. And then the edicts and the decrees come out from the Pope and such after about 625 to 725 A.D., after Charlemagne is crowned the last Holy Roman Emperor of Europe, King Charles, where he is the last known complete ruler of all of Europe, who is also a pope and a ruler, an emperor, a king. And Charlemagne, he goes, he's invaded by from the north. Charlemagne actually taught people and read people books and scriptures and had books and scriptures copied by scribes and, and historians and such and sent out to the different congregations all over Europe. Charlemagne tried to do a modern literacy program of teaching people the original scriptures and such. But then after Charlemagne, the cardinals and such came in, and uh, many of these people were overrun by the northern tribes of, of Vikings and other northern uh, Gentile tribes that came in where those Catholics and Jew mixtures of Italian bloodlines and Hebrew bloodlines were, and they suppressed the reading of books by burning books and, and doing other things. And so that meant all the more that those records that were held in the Vatican became very historically significant and important. And because of that, um, uh, and because of the invasions and burning of books and such, I think that the, the Roman Catholic Church at the time took the standpoint of, we will only allow priests to read these books and have these books because they didn't want them being so precious in translations and so labor-intensive to do, to fall into the hands of the marauding northern tribes of Europe that would burn them and destroy them. And so it became a tradition, and then later an edict law, that only a Catholic priest and cardinal and pope could read from the scriptures and read the scriptures, and that it would not be translated into the common languages of Europe, like Italian, German, uh, or even Greek, which many read, or, or, or taken from the Greek and copied over, or translated eventually into English. Um, but as this happened, 
the anti-Semitism grew and there was the Roman Inquisitions, which many people call it the Spanish Inquisitions because they, they cite the period of 1400s to 1500s, uh, 1492 culminating with uh, Shem Tov taking Hebrew Matthew and translating it into Hebrew to argue with the Catholic Church in Spain that you don't have a right to say anything to me to throw me out because I'm a Jew and keep the Seventh-day Sabbath because Yahshua the Messiah, or Yasha the Messiah, Yahusha the Messiah, which he says in Hebrew, Matthew, he was a Jew and he kept the Sabbath day and he ate kosher and he did these things. And so a dissertation was written by a man named Shem Tov to argue with the Catholic Church to keep him from being expelled or tortured to death or put to death by the Inquisitions of the Spanish Inquisitions. Uh, so he did a translation of Hebrew Matthew. So throughout those times, it was really 1260 years that the Roman Catholic Church put people to death at the stake, burning them at the stake, drawing and quartering them, cutting off their heads, whatever, because they would do things like read the Bible or translate the Bible in common languages. And even to modern times, when we get to 1600, 1700, 1800 in Europe, you see case after case after case from the reformers like Martin Luther in the age of what was been called enlightenment in history books of people realizing that the scriptures say different than what the Catholic Church says uh, in, in modern Christianity and such that these translators are imprisoned, impaled, burned at the stake and punished and abused and murdered because they translate the Bible into Greek, modern Greek, into German, into English, and then the people started to read for themselves and realized that what the priests and the, and, and the Catholic cardinals and the popes had been telling them is not exactly all the truth. So we have the Latin form of the version of the Greek name Iuzos, which is a, a phonetical reading of the Greek letters, which is translated as Jesus. And we find out that Jesus, with the U.S. at the end, is actually a phonetical ending for a deity or a god that all the Greeks and the Romans added at the end of the name of anyone that they considered a elevated being. So uh, you have people whose name was like Titus because they believed he was a god as a general for Rome and they had the U.S. ending on it. And then they made the, up the name Jesus 430 years ago from that Latin and Greek tradition of adding the name of Zeus or the ending of Zeus names, the U.S. sound or the O.U.S. sound at the end for Jesus to replace the name Joshua in the 1611 King James Version, and then later in the 1634 revised, they mistakenly took the English word Jesus and even replaced the name Joshua, as I read in the first segment in Hebrews chapter 4 and chapter 8. And so when we look at these things, they took the name Yahshua and they basically changed the names, as I say, to protect the guilty. I kind of take that from a lot of these crime shows where they say, we changed the name to protect the innocent. Okay, well, they changed the names to protect the guilty. The guilty who had changed his name. Now, why is this important? Well, if you go to the Torah law and the writings in Torah itself 
of the Ten Commandments and such, it says anyone who changes this word or takes a name out or takes something out of it, that Yah himself says he'll add curses to that person. And at the end of the book of Revelation, it says anybody who changes this scripture, this word I'm giving, Yah Almighty will add to them the plagues that are written in this book, the book of Revelation. So we're cautioned not to change names and not to change parts of Scripture in any way whatsoever. So back in the 1960s, the Roman Catholic Church was contending strongly against the Protestant Church in the United States of America and in England and such because the Protestants said, Ha ha, Mr. Catholic, I can read the Bible, you can't because your Pope says you can't read the Bible. You don't even have a version of it in the Catholic form. So ha ha, I have a Bible, you don't. So I have the truth, you don't. Mockery and contention between Roman versus uh, Catholic versus Protestant. Protestant actually means protestant, protesting the rule of the Pope as the vicar of Christ or voice of Christ on the earth, the voice of Hamashiach on the earth. We contend as protesters of the papal rule or the Pope's rule that he is not the successor of Peter, as the Roman Catholic Church says, but he is the successor of Roman Caesars and Romans who called themselves God, and he's just continuing with the same U.S. ending as the Papist is called the voice of Christ, vicar of Christ on the earth, claiming to be a God on the earth. And so when we look at this and we, and we compare what happened here, we can see in 1969 they came out with this version, the Roman Catholic version, and then we go to Exodus, the 20th chapter, and we read what the Catholic version says of the Torah verse that gives the Ten Commandments, and we see something missing. Number one, the second commandment saying, thou shalt have no graven images and idols is wiped out. And then we go to the Sabbath day, and we see that has been changed from the seventh day Sabbath, resting six days, and on the seventh day you rest, working six days and on the seventh day you rest, has been changed to, quote-unquote, the Lord's Day in the Roman Catholic version. Now we get to the Tenth Commandment. It is split in two. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's cattle, thy neighbor's possessions, and thy neighbor's wife is changed into two possessions. Don't covet anything that's your neighbor's and don't covet your neighbor's wife. Now it becomes two commandments because we had to get rid of the idle commandment because what happened? There was a iconoclastic war in 1675 when the Roman Catholic Church cardinals voted and declared Almighty Pope is infallible, can make no errors whatsoever. And then they said the T-shaped cross of the Tammuz in the Catholic Church is infallible. That's exactly how the Messiah died, and you can't fight against that. And if you go against the cross then you're going against the church and now we're going to kill you in the Inquisition. So you got to accept the cross and you got to accept the Pope as God on earth. Basically, in 1675, they voted it and solidified it in the canon or the law of the Catholic Church, which was called the canon bull because it was written on bullskin and then displayed outside the Vatican for all to read. And then it was rolled up as a leather scroll back then and put into the Vatican vault. This is the law that the Pope has said, and therefore it was like the Almighty had spoken, and so let it be written, so let it be done, like in the movie uh, about the Exodus with Charles and Heston, so let it be written, so let it be done. And there was never any room for anybody to question it. But then we have something that happened there. 
the modern Protestant Anglican English speakers invented a word called missed stake for the fact that the Pope had changed the scripture, John 3.14, Numbers 21, they missed the stake or pole on which Yahshua died, they erected a Tammuz in its place, the cross, and they missed the stake, and it became the word mistake for meaning an error in the English language. And that's a phonetical and dictionary history lesson that cannot be disputed or contended with unless you just want to be ignorant and want to worship idols rather than worship the name of the Most High, Yahshua, uh, Hamashiach, and Yahweh, the Almighty, in heaven above. So when we look at these things and we start to see in history how they changed the names and how they erased things from the Scripture and how they said, I have the right to do that, when the Almighty said clearly in His own Scriptures, the only person that can change this or make it different is me because I'm the one that wrote it. I'm the one that gave it. I'm the one that inspired it. I'm the one that told these people. I told Moses, write the Torah. I told Moses. I gave Moses, written with my own finger, the Ten Commandments. Don't change these things. Don't add to them. Don't take away. If you add to them, I'm going to add the plagues. If you take away, I'm going to take your name out of the Book of Life. It says it right in the book of Yohanan, uh, the Revelator, called Revelations in the Modern English. It says exactly that. So, when we witness to a Yahudim, a Jew, an Israelite, a Hebrew from the tribes of Israel, who has for many years kept the tradition of the seventh-day Sabbath from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, and you try to take it from a Catholic perspective of witnessing about Christianity and claiming the Christian Jesus is the Messiah, they have a lot of ammunition against that whole concept. So you have to overcome it by giving the real name of Messiah from Zechariah chapter 6, Yahshua, so that you can set the predicate and set the stage and set the discussion and the dissertation to say, listen, I love you. You're a human fellow man. We both were created by the Almighty. I have a right to receive salvation like anybody else. And I have found salvation in the name of Almighty Yah and Yahshua HaMashiach as given in your Tanakh. And let me tell you about what happened from there. Okay? So now, when I witnessed to Barbara Olson, I had no idea whatsoever that um, what was about to happen. And Barbara Olson, we developed a relationship and uh, with her, my wife and I, and uh, we continued to talk um, uh, via telephone calls and different sorts of things and such uh, for the period after, for a few years after that meeting with the King Gob Evangelistic Association fundraising dinner down that was held here in Pennsylvania, the state I live in. Um, and uh, uh, it, it developed to a certain point where, you know, we had a pretty good uh, fellowship uh, a long distance, be it as it was, with Barbara Olson and, uh, uh, of course, Ted Olson, uh, who um, uh, we didn't have as much conversation with him because Barbara would call on the phone, but um, Ted really wouldn't necessarily call on the phone all the time and, and talk with us and such. Well, 
9-11 happened and I was in my office. I was preparing a radio program and uh, my office was in the basement of my home at the time. And uh, my wife comes down and she says, Dan, something really bad is happening and you need to come up here and watch the news. And that was right after the first plane hit the towers of the Twin Towers in uh, New York City. And then there was the reports that came in. As time progressed, we were glued to the TV screen and praying and such. And then my wife turns to me and says, you were scary right. And I said, what are you talking about? I was scary right. She goes, remember when we took my niece to the plane and we were early and you said from the New Jersey airport looking across the bay there and such that um, there was a the Twin Towers there, and you said, let's go to the Twin Towers, because you never know. <laughs> the terrorists hit it once. They might hit it again. It might not be there by the time we get back. And she reminded me of that conversation that happened in July of 2001, just before September 11th, when the Twin Towers were hit with this plane. So I had had a foreseeing prophetic vision <laughs> Uh, that came true. I had a word that came true. And then the second plane hit the towers. And then we watched as the exoskeleton started to deteriorate and the fires continued and the smoke rose and people were fleeing from there. And then we got the report. Barbara Olson was on a plane and that plane then hit the Pentagon and Barbara Olson passed away. But thank Yah, she knew the truth of the name of Yahshua, and she knew the Messiah, and she was a saved person, and she got an opportunity on the cell phone to uh, talk to her family and to say to them, I love you, goodbye, uh, I'm here, they've hijacked the plane, and it looks like they're going to hit something in D.C., and so, a lot of people have a lot of conspiracy theories about that plane that hit the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. on 9-11. And a lot of people um, uh, try to say, oh, it wasn't really the plane, it was a missile, and that sort of thing. But um, in reality, yes, it was a plane. I knew Barbara Olson, and she passed away on that plane. Now, that's not to say there wasn't also a missile, because there was a missile probably trailing that plane. Because the Air Force was ordered at that time by the president to shoot down anything that might get through in Washington, D.C. and stop it from destroying or killing people in Washington, D.C. So there were those orders. So I don't know. I believe this. I believe there was the plane hit and there was a trailing missile, air-to-air missile that was following the plane. Uh, traveling into the Pentagon. I think both hit. I think there was a simultaneous connection of both a missile and a plane uh, because they were trying to get it before it hit the Pentagon. They were trying to prevent it from hitting the Pentagon and killing those people. That's what I believe. Uh, I don't know, and that's maybe doubtful dispute, and those who are, call themselves 9-11 truthers, conspiracy theorists and such, um, they get criticized on many accounts uh, for many things and such like that. 
Um, and I don't really want to get into a doubtful dispute and argument about was it just a plane or was it just a missile or was it both or was it I, I just it doesn't it doesn't serve any purpose. Right now we know the terrorists hijacked planes and they did evil in the name of Islam as their Islamic radical terrorist beliefs caused them to kill themselves and while killing themselves take a lot of other people in America with them. So and it wasn't just American Christians and American uh, Jews and American secular people and just American citizens. It wasn't any one religion. They killed both Muslim, Jew, Christian. They killed white. They killed black. They killed Indian. They killed European. They killed everybody that was in the way of their mission and what they wanted to do. And the fact that they got away with it um, to some degree uh, and created this war that we have now in America. As we, as we look at the 20th year of 9-11, I just want to say that what lays on my heart right now is that I dedicate this show in the name of Barbara Olson, who passed away on 9-11 as a result of the terrorist attacks because she was a believer in Yahshua HaMashiach and she was, had an effect on my life that makes me want to tell you the story of how I shared with her how to witness to a Jew. Now, I'm Dr. Dan Merrick, and you know I have been in ministry for, uh, active ministry for about uh, 30 years now. Well, actually, actually 30 years now, and uh, it's the 30th anniversary. And uh, many years ago, as if you've read my book, The Ordinary Supernatural Life, uh, self-autobiography of sorts, um, then, you, uh, then you know the story of how when I was a young man walked into the congregation meeting of a uh, church and the guy asked, could he pray for me and lay hands on me? And I said, yes. And then he said, Daniel, as a result of your ministry, there'll be millions of people saved all over the world. Well, of course, I thought to this point in my life that Faith Radio was going to be a fulfillment of that prophecy and, and that uh, my books and, and everything that I'm doing in ministry uh, for charity work and in uh, giving 100% of our donations to the work of Yah and to spread the message of the gospel, Yahshua HaMashiach, and to help others feed the hungry, give them a cool drink of water, give them clothes, help the widow and orphan as we're commanded in the scripture to do. I thought that that basically may have been already fulfilled and that there are millions that I'm unaware of that are getting saved as a result of my ministry. But... What happened was we were offered a, ra- a television program on the The Now Network at thenownetwork.org. And so Yahsway TV has been up on my website for many, many years, you know, if you've been following me. And Yahsway TV is now going to come to full fruition. 236 million TV screens in Europe, Africa, the United States, Asia, South America, and around the world that are going to be able to get it on the internet and on their TV screens, on Roku, on Google Play TV, on Amazon Fire TV, on Apple TV, on the different channels that are listed at yazway.tv, which you can go to, and you can link to watch the network live starting Thursday, September the 30th at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. You are going to be able to see the old man, Dr. Dan... The Calvary Man, 
the preacher man on TV for 30 minutes every Thursday from now until when Yah decides that we're not going to do it anymore, preaching the word of Yah and preaching the name of Yahshua Messiah and preaching the name of truth and the truth from the scriptures. Now, we have already signed the contract, done the deal, and solidified the thing, and the initial payments have been made thanks to a contribution of a brother who shall remain anonymous because he wants to. He says, I want to remain anonymous because I don't want to get my reward because the scripture says the Heavenly Father will reward you in heaven. And uh, he wants to hold to those scriptures and wait for his reward there so he can give it at the feet of Yahshua Messiah on the last day when he gets his rewards on the judgment day in the trial by fire. So, um, what we shall see here is September 30th, Yahsway TV will air on the Now Network in all those added additional channels to 53 million cable homes in the United States of America and an additional 236 million homes worldwide on different channels and cable channels and satellite networks and such uploaded to the satellite and available on uh, Roku. Amazon, Apple, Google Play, and you can get the download app at yahsway.tv. So go to yhsway.tv instead of .com. Put the .tv in there. Go there. Read what we're doing. Look at what we have there. And download the mobile app for your iPhone, for your Android, for your laptop or whatever and your smartphone and get that and be able to tune in every Thursday at 1 p.m. in the afternoon Eastern Time for Yahweh TV with Dr. Dan Merrick so that we can preach the truth of the name of Yah. And we're going to take the fire of Yah that is about to initiate this outer rain, this latter rain outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh upon mankind to call them to repentance in the name of Yahusha Yahshua HaMashiach. So we want to announce this to you and say please come and support us. Please come and support the ministry so the ongoing work and the ongoing productions of the shows can be done. We have an outstanding award-winning television production company that is going to help us with the production of the show. And so I'm looking forward to seeing you through my TV screen. Or no, I can't see you through the TV screen. You're going to have to look at me. I can't look back at you. But I'll be on the TV screen on Yasway TV Thursday afternoons at 1 p.m. USA Eastern Time and on-demand downloads at yasway.tv and at thenownetwork.org, which is spelled T-H-E-N-O-W-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.org. So, you be sure and get over there before the 30th and get your app so you can watch the first show September 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time or download on demand so that you can see our first show and tell me what you think. And I'll tell you a great way to tell me what you think. Get over to yasbible.org, yasbible.org, y-h-b-i-b-l-e.org, and go in and click on the donate button and say, Dan, I want to help you with the new television program. I want to help you with your missions to Philippines. I want to help you with your missions to the world. 
I want to help you with feeding the hungry and helping the orphan and helping the fatherless and help people hear the name of Yah throughout the world. So that's how you can help us and be a benefit to both Faith Radio and Yahweh TV and for the preaching of the truth in the world. May the Most High Yah bless you and keep you. May He cause His Shekinah glory to shine on you and fill you with the Ruach HaKodesh. May He grant you peace. May He grant you a mighty move of the Ruach in your life so that you can be a part of the eternal kingdom of Yah by calling on the name of Yahshua Messiah and receiving salvation in His name and looking forward to the day when the trumpet sounds and Messiah returns. And you shall rise up in the air and be changed for you shall be like Him, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two, with a sinless new body. And you shall live and reign with Him a thousand years on this earth. May the Most High Yah bless and keep you. Until next time, I'm Dan Merrick for Faith Radio. This radio broadcast depends on the contributions of viewers like you. We appreciate your tithes and offerings and the gifts of our supporters and listeners worldwide. Without your kind gifts and offerings, we cannot reach so many with the good news of Messiah's love and salvation. To give your gift online, you can click the PayPal button at thinkya.org. That's T-H-I-N-K-Y-A-H dot org. Or visit our social network at yahsspace.org. That's Y-A-H-S space dot org. Our goal is to continue to reach the world for Messiah, and your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated and help keep this broadcast on the air.